Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which which our community community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to to expand expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because because they they anchor us in something something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our second scripture reading is Genesis 17, 1 through 7, 15 through 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout the generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, wife, You shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Julie. Hey, everybody. My name is Steve. Welcome to all of you who joined us today, including just many new people. Week after week, uh, people are are joining us for the first time. So thank you, you guys. Uh, this is us, quirky, weird, us. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe us. But today's scripture portion, I like the word portion better than text. Portion is more like food. Text is more like something that's taken out of a study manual. So today's scripture portion, we're going to explore the nature of responding to an invitation by God to go from here to there. We're going to ask the questions like, what's it like to leave something familiar? What's it like to be invited by God to go someplace new? What happens if you get stuck in the middle? What happens if you aren't sure if you're ever going to get there? What happens if you want to go back to here? (laughs) And finally, what does God promise to you when you agree to go? So before we get into all that stuff, I think uh, you can't properly understand today's portion without remembering how the story of Abram and Sarai started way back in Genesis 12. And again, this is the first book of the Bible. These are some of the first 
uh, stories of people that are going to become God's people. Uh, now the Lord said to Abram, this is back in Genesis 12, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So in the Bronze Age, this is a Bronze Age story, leaving your native land and your family meant leaving every security that you had. You had nowhere to lay your head at night. You had no land on which to farm animals and make money. Uh, and maybe even the most scary thing is if you met another tribe that was not your tribe on the road, you had no protection from your tribe. So you might even get killed. And so this means that Abram and Sarai were choosing a wilderness life. And you're in the wilderness, remember, when you know where you've been, but you don't really know where you're going. So that's why this story is included in the Lent journey, right? So first I'll play question. All plays are designed as Ali uh, showed in the kids sermon. All plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. They're open-ended questions designed to hear um, a multitude of answers. So first I'll play question. What's it like to leave something familiar? And yes, Reagan, uh, portions and juicy nuggets are definitely interchangeable. Uh, juicy nuggets are in my notes for this week. Stay tuned. What's it like to leave something familiar? What's it like to leave something familiar? Oh, Bob, it feels like you're on the precipice. Yeah, I like that word. Um, Isaac, yeah, it's scary. Uh, it's always fun to see that my kids are actually watching the sermon. Whew. Uh, Laura, very scary. Hannah, risky. Noah, new. Ooh, I like that. It feels new. Uh, Becky, risky. Uh, <laughs> Laura says to Isaac, samesies. Uh, scary and exciting, unmoored. Uh, Jenny said scary and exciting. Elizabeth said unmoored. Ooh, I really like that one. Like you used to be moored or, or safe or secure, and now you're floating everywhere. I really like that word. Uh, TJ, hey TJ. Uh, it's like you're on shaky ground. Uh, Victoria turns everything upside down to leave something familiar. I agree. <laughs> Nico, like I want to barf. <laughs> it's so great. By the way, Nico is a great writer. And if you go to our Facebook page, uh, Will has linked some of Nico's writings. So, so it was so funny that <laughs> I need to take a sip of water. <clears throat> okay. Woo. Um, like I want to barf. Pam, vulnerable. Yes. Bob, I love unmoored. Yeah. I don't love being unmoored, but I love the word. Bethany, Precipice, great song about that, <laughs> about by the classic crime. I haven't heard it. You have to link it. Uh, scary, super scary. Holly Shoddy, uh, parallel tracks of excitement and fear. Yes, it's both. Uh, Chris, and it feels insecure. I agree with all those things. I might add, um, it depends on your level of um, how much you like change, you know? Leaving something familiar for some of you is like, I want to do that every day. I hate familiar, right? For others of you, you're like, get behind me, Satan, because leaving something familiar is the worst thing in the world, right? 
So maybe you have done this recently, maybe even in the pandemic, you've changed a job or you've changed a career. I just talked to someone a couple of days ago who had changed jobs and that feels scary. Uh, maybe you've moved or uh, like I know Nate and Cassandra are, they moved into a new house and they're redoing stuff. And I asked them, hey, was, is that fun? And kind of like, yeah, if working all day on your house without a break is fun, then sure, we're having fun. <laughs> um, going from middle school to high school, my son Isaac is going to be moving to high school this year. I cannot believe. So we're all figuring, trying to figure that out, where he's going to go. That's unfamiliar. Or high school to college or college to a career. Uh, getting married is leaving something familiar. Getting divorced is leaving something familiar. Uh, coming out as queer or transitioning is leaving something familiar. Can I get an amen to that one, right? Sending the kids back to school in person is leaving something familiar. Um, receiving them home was leaving something familiar. Um, burying your parent. I know that's happened to some of you this last week to Will um, and or even a child, um, I talked to someone recently who's lost a child and I just can't imagine that. Leaving something familiar is all those things. It's scary. It's you don't know what's coming next. And I want to say this. I think most of us are okay with leaving something familiar as long as we're assured that it's going to turn out okay. Can I get some snaps if you agree with that? Like, like we are okay or we're more okay leaving something familiar as long as we're assured it's gonna turn out okay. We're, as Kara said, we're about to vote after seven years with a denomination, we're about to vote to voluntarily leave the denomination so that we can be more fully faithful to our LGBTQIA plus siblings. Um, hoo, 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 hoo. That's unfamiliar. Is it gonna turn out okay? Who knows? Well, we don't get, to, um, we don't get a guarantee, especially when we're invited by God uh, to leave something familiar. Cassandra says, sometimes I'm okay leaving something familiar, but sometimes it feels like the familiar follows me. Mic drop, 100%. It's really, you know, even in terms of the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, you know, the old saying goes, they can leave Egypt, but it took a long, a lot longer for Egypt to leave them, you know? So <clears throat> this invitation that Abram and Sarai got to leave and go to the land that I will show you. And I love that that's listed right there in the beginning of the Bible, because it's both something that probably happened the way that it's written down, but it's also so beautifully um, characteristic of most invitations that we get from God, where we don't know where we're going you know? And so I love that it starts that conversation. Like, what's it like to receive an invitation from your God where you don't really know? And the thing is, uh, when you're leaving something familiar, here's what faith means. Faith is resisting your need for certainty about how things will turn out. It's actually not faith if you have to hold on to an ironclad reason. It's totally normal to want things to turn out right. I'm not saying that's bad in any way, but faith is saying, I'm okay releasing my need 
to be certain about how it's going to turn out. Here's the law of faith, right? This is a Richard Rohr-ism. I know many of you are fans of the father, Father Rohr. If you were given a picture of exactly how things were going to turn out, you would screw it up in one of two ways. <laughs> number one, you would run away from it, okay? Or number two, you would try to manufacture it on your own, right? That's the law of faith. And that's why we're not told how things are gonna turn out. You would screw it up, I would screw it up. So story time, ready? Way back in 2002, I was a 32 year old up and coming rock star youth pastor. You can see it, can't you? I mean, you know that that was true. Like I was up and coming. I was working at a church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, kind of a small town, and I left that church <laughs> Will there be a banana in the story? Who knows, Anna? Only if someone else provides it. But I left my job, Mary and I, we didn't have kids yet. We left my job in Eau Claire, Wisconsin to move to Detroit, Michigan, to this big church because I was on my way to becoming a very big deal. And that is 100% true. Well, except for the fact that I failed spectacularly and 13 months after I moved to that new city and got that new job. I quit that new job and moved back into my parents' basement, which is what you do when you're 33 and you're killing it at life, right? You move back into your parents' basement because you are now a huge, huge deal. That's what every huge deal person does. <laughs> so, uh, after searching for jobs for a little while, I got this job at a church where honestly my job was mostly to clean up after events, uh, youth group events. I was back in youth ministry and uh, there was a low point, especially because I was trying to do it as quickly as I can. And I stacked up a bunch of sound equipment and I put the speaker on the top of the stack and I was moving it down the basement or down to, to the basement to store it. And I hit a seam in the hallway and one of the speakers fell and cracked. And um, the, a day later, the head custodian said to me, hey, you know, I noticed you were pushing a bunch of stuff. Uh, well, one of the speakers is cracked. Like, do you know anything about that? Here is my honest response. Hmm, no, I don't. I don't know anything about that. And that was my low point when I realized not only was I not a big deal, I was a very small deal cleaning up after youth group events, and I was now also a liar. <laughs> so I went back to the head custodian and I said, oh my goodness, I am so sorry. I really lied. I really did. I really did drop that speaker and I cracked it. And he was very gracious. Thank goodness. But that was the low point. And right after that low point, I received an invitation from God to leave something familiar. And I'll tell you what that is in a minute, okay? Um, but I want to ask this question. When you're in that kind of moment, maybe it's a low place, what is it like to receive an invitation from God, not just to leave something familiar, but to go somewhere new? What's it like to receive an invitation from God to go somewhere new? And thank you for everyone. Nico and Reagan, been there. I assuming that means back in your parents' basement. And Mark, yep, did the whole back in the parents' basement gig. Did it. 
<laughs> and yes, Reagan, I think we probably do need a survey to see who has made that amazing move back in your parents' basement. What's it like? What's it like to receive an invitation from God to go to a place that I will show you? Um, uplifting and foreboding at the same time. And the reason why I'm asking this question, it maybe it sounds like the same question to leave something familiar, but I think it's different. When you feel like, okay, this is actually an invitation from God to go somewhere new. Jenny, it's a weird mix of relief and fear. Whew. Also, Jenny, depends on if it matches what I want, right? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's so good. Uh, Danny Cook. Oh, it was Danny Cook that said it was a weird mix of relief and fear. Yeah. Oh, Danny, totally right. Um, so, okay, Bethany, I feel seen and wanted, right? I mean, this is a powerful thing. But also your false self is screaming that it's a trap. A hundred percent. And by the way, Kara mentioned I'm on this podcast this season with Ruth Taylor Barton. It's really all about true self, false self stuff. And it is deep. <laughs> I, I, it's almost, it's almost hard to go back and listen to because it's all about true self, false self, uh, TJ uncertain of how we'll get there, but certain he'll be there through it all. Yeah. Right. Oh man, that's good. Victoria must remind myself that his new is better than my same. Yeah. I would have to like mantra that baby like 74 times a day. His new is better than my same. His new is better than my same. His new is better than my same. Well, back to Genesis 17.1 and keep putting your comments in the, um, in the comment section. But when Abram was 99 years old, and I love that, right? Because we all want it to happen when we all want to become a big deal when we're 32. <laughs> and you, sometimes you got to wait till you're 99. I didn't like that back when I was 32 and I needed to be a big deal like in five minutes. But anyway, Abram, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Okay, so let's go slow because we're going to dive into some Hebrew. I wish I had like a like a sound effect for for the for the original language, like Hebrew or something. Someone needs to make me a sound effect. Uh, halak is the word for walk, and it it means walk or depart or proceed or go or move or even come. Isn't that great? It can mean come as as well as it can mean go. But then right there, it's halak panim. This phrase goes together. You can't have halak without panim. And panim means face or look. So it literally means walk, face, walk and look, walk and look, walk to my face is what God is saying. And so for those of you that have kids or grandkids, right? You know that moment, if you're lucky enough to be there, when you're there, when the kid is just about to take those tottering first three or four steps. You know what I'm talking about? And like, you know, they're, they're done with that awkward movement where they're, where they're propelling themselves around with their arms. Cause it's, you know, and they're ready to actually walk. Uh, and by the way, I'm told that uh, Becky told me recently that it takes 102 muscles to walk. 102. Um, but how babies learn to walk is they stumble, they crawl, but then there's that moment, right? And you're about 10 feet from them and you have your arms out and your face is like this. 
right? And their faces like this. And then they go, and what are they doing? They're walking right to you. Are they thinking about walking? Are they going, now I must engage my core and I have to, no. They're not thinking about walking, they're thinking about you. They're thinking about getting to you. They're thinking about moving toward you because you're going, and they're experiencing the delight of moving in a new way for the first time. And they're experiencing the delight of being held by you and caught by you. That's what God is talking about when God says to Abram, um, walk to my face. Isn't that beautiful, you guys? <laughs> and yes, I am trying to make all the parents cry. <laughs> um, they're walking without thinking about walking. Thinking, Think of Adam and Eve in the garden when they're naked and unashamed, right? That's the same reality. Think about Hagar from last week, the Egyptian slave that's used by Abram and Harai for her body. And she meets God in the wilderness. She thinks she's going to die, but instead... God sees her, God calls her by name, and she names God. You are the God who sees me. That's the same kind of walking to God without thinking about walking. It's Jesus right before he goes to the wilderness when God calls him, you're, you're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus does anything, he's called beloved. That's from last week too. Um, so here's my continuation of my story. Uh, so I'm at this job. I'm this youth ministry cleanup guy. <laughs> I've just lied about dropping the speaker. I've just apologized for dropping the speaker. And then a few days later, I was walking into the building. And I'll never forget this. I, this is going to sound mystical, and it is. I don't know how you're supposed to hear from God, and I don't know how it all works. But I do feel like that was one of the few moments in my life where I did hear from God. And this is what I felt like God said, was it words? I don't know. It was just a movement in my spirit. And the movement was, hey, um, I want you to keep doing your actual job description well, like keep cleaning up after those events, like keep, keep doing that. But I'm going to give you a new job description. And the job description is this. I want you to love people. That's, that's your new job description here. That was the walk to someplace else that I got. Like leave the familiar false self way of thinking of trying to become a big deal because <laughs> you kind of failed at that. And walk toward this new reality of loving people. And I don't know, because I was ready for that invitation, I think I just gave an immediate yes to that. I just was like, God, yes, that's what I want. That's what I want. That sounds satisfying. That sounds like something that I can sink my teeth into. And so I began... Uh, building this relationship, particularly with this one custodian, this different custodian that was kind of grumpy. Um, but after a while, he would stop in my office and he'd have his garbage can, but he would put it to the side and sit down. He would tell me about the car that he was rebuilding and working on. And he would tell me about, uh, he had Parkinson's disease. And so he would tell me about the challenges and some days were good and some days were bad. And let me tell you, that was so much better. Um, that the quality of that relationship was so much better than the experience of trying to be a big deal. <laughs> and I'm still struggling with that 18 years later, by the way, <laughs> I still have a journey with that. Um, but when I get stuck in uh, my same instead of God's new, thank you, Victoria, 
I remember that I have a different job description and it's, it's about loving people kind of like Allie's kids sermon. Um, and it's not about being a big deal. So, um, God showed Abram and Sarai and me that the land that he was going to show them and me was not a land at all. It's not an outcome at all. It was a quality of relationship that when God says, Hey, uh, leave your familiar thing to go to a place I will show you. <laughs> Guess what? It's never a place. It's never a job. It's never a outcome. It's never becoming a big deal. It's always a quality of relationship. I really believe that to the bottom of my heart, from my toes. That's what it is. And so here's an all play question. I've been talking for a while. How does looking at the someplace new as a quality of relationship different than looking at it as an outcome or a place to end up? How does looking at this thing that God's in, that this someplace new that God invites you to, how does looking at that as quality of relationship, how does that feel or sound different than arriving at a place or arriving at a specific outcome? How is that different? Um, Bob, it leaves me, the ego me, um, and embraces the other, selfless. Uh, John, it feels more like a gift than something to attain. Yes. And Abby, all the many times I've heard this scripture preached, I've never heard it put this way. That's about the quality of relationship. That it's about quality of relationship changes everything. Yes, because otherwise we just fall into that trap of trying to screw it up, amen? Trying to manufacture it on our own or running from it. Um, you're not alone, you're in community. That's what it sounds like to Pam, yes. And then, uh, and yes, thanks Bob from Reagan. And from Will Lee, it takes me deeper into the mystery of the divine rather than puffing myself up thinking I've arrived, 100%. <laughs> Becky, it's less outcome-based and more ongoing, more process. Yeah, walk to my face is a process. You never really get there. You just keep growing in your stages and you learn how to walk differently. And, and you know, Abraham had a different kind of quality of relationship with God later in life than he did at first. And that's all part of it too. Oh, Mary, my wife, it means that the details of where and what um, are okay, will be okay, no matter what they are, right? Things are going to be okay, no matter what the outcome is. Yes. Um, Victoria, once you arrive at that place, it's done. Exactly. And that can satisfy some of our certainty itch, but it, it's not the quality of the biblical story. Sometimes we get all fired up about what's biblical and what's not. Well, the biblical story is all about the ongoing relationship with God, the God that takes you into mystery and keeps showing you who she is. Amen. Uh, Bethany, it takes the, it takes the striving out of it. Yeah, right. It's so hard to figure out, have I gotten there yet? Am I there yet? Uh, Victoria, once you arrive to a place that's finished, yes, relationship is ongoing. Yes, yes. Yes, and it's just so much more satisfying to be, and hard, to be in relationship. Um, Elizabeth, if God is endlessly knowable, thank you, Richard Rohr, his invitations are too. They're not about hitting an outcome. Can we just stop here for a second? 
And can we say that for most of us, the idolatry and certainty of getting somewhere has replaced the beautiful mess of knowing God on God's terms and God knowing us on our terms, no matter who we are, no matter what we are. Can we just say that we have, we have mostly traded intimacy with God, relationship with God for certainty and getting into an outcome and, and having all the stories be about like being called into ministry or being, you know, leaving this place to go to that place as if leaving this place and going to that place was the point. It isn't, it's all just a big experiment because God has to move us somewhere to get us to see things differently, you know, but it's never about where we go. I shouldn't say that. It's also about where we go, but it's also about who we are along the way. Woo. All right. Um, keep adding the chat stuff in the chat. Um, but we also get to this phrase in Genesis 17, one, by the way, we've made it through one verse. Are we okay with that so far? We've made it through one verse. We haven't even made it through one verse, to be honest. Um, because it says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Now, quick all play, okay? What rises up in you when you hear that phrase? Walk before me, okay, be like that, you know, the baby, ah, and then, and be blameless. How do we feel about that? <laughs> Bob, not me, uh, Will. Shame, yes. Be blameless. Oh, all that no striving stuff, it's all back in there, right? Gosh, we, we don't even have one sentence to where we can just rest in the fact that God is endlessly knowable and it's a relationship and it's a process. Now be blameless. <laughs> Hannah, like Homer Simpson saying, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Kara, Enneagram ones knew it was coming. The other shoe is going to drop. Well, because we're running out of time, let me just get into it, okay? Uh, someone play the Hebrew nerd alert music. Whatever it is. The word is tamim, T-A-M-I-M. Of course, there's no vowels in Hebrew, so you got to put in those vowels for it to sound like anything. Tamim. And it means complete, whole, entire, or sound. Guess what? It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean perfection. It means whole. This isn't, this isn't an, as long as you do A, then you'll be blameless. It's more of, now listen to this, in the reflexive process of walking to my face, when you're not thinking about walking at all, in that process, that process is what will make you whole. Can I get an amen for that? Not blameless, not perfect. The process of, of, having your face toward God. And by the way, in the, the first commandment that says you shall have no other gods before me, it's this word, no other gods in my face. <laughs> no other gods in my face. Because, and why does God command that as the first commandment? Because she knows you're going to have about 132 gods in your face before you turn five. <laughs> right? And so it's just this, hey, I, walk to me because I'm actually satisfying and every time you don't walk to me, I'm not going to punish you. I'm just going to invite you back to me, right? Whew. So a Brahmin Sarai screwed it up massively. They used Hagar. They used her body. I mean, that's unforgivable. 
to produce a son, yet they somehow kept walking towards God's face. And I had to go all the way to Detroit, Michigan and live in my parents' basement after I moved back to find out that my job wasn't to be a big deal, but to love people. So here's the simple truth. Truth is never, truth shouldn't be complex. Um, Fred Rogers said this when he was talking about TV, but he, but back in the day, and you know, he was an ordained minister and his field was television, but he said, we are trading that which is simple, beautiful, and elegant for that which is confusing, complex, and untrue. So let's go back to simplicity. God's ultimate call on our lives is not about where we go for God, jobs, ministries, or what we do for God. God's ultimate call is into a quality of relationship marked simply by our continuous walking towards his face, towards her face, like an infant learning to walk who doesn't think about her walking, but only on the joy she sees in her parents' face. Here's the quote from Mr. Rogers. We're in the process of trading that which is simple, deep, and profound for that which is complex, shallow, and confusing. Let's stop doing that. Let's stop doing that. Stop naming that, you know, you have to be this way or that way or go this far for God. The whole point is to walk towards God's face no matter who you are. Let me catch up. Um, As you turn towards God and walk towards God, you are made whole. When you maintain your gaze and your steps with the divine, you live in wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. It's about wholeness. It's about completion. And you can't complete yourself and you can't make yourself whole. And so we go on all these, all these walks (laughs) and in the walking, we're made whole. In Genesis, the rest of Genesis 17, I'm going to read it for you and then close with a beautiful picture. Uh, And I will make my covenant between me and you, says God. And, um, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abraham or Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Now, in a time where only men were talked to and only men were the you know ancestors of offsprings, here comes verse 15. And this is Bronze Age thinking, but it's totally radical, way ahead of its time. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, don't call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I'm not just changing your name. I'm changing her name too, because I will bless her. Women were never mentioned by in, in, in this way. But God says, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She will give rise to nations and kings of people shall come from her. Come on, can I get an amen for the egalitarian nature of God even back in Genesis 7 day? Whew. Now, these sermons are just getting longer and longer, you guys. I, I blame you for all your good comments. It's not my fault. My preaching isn't getting longer. Your comments are getting better. Okay, here's how we want to end. What do you notice about the name change? What do you notice about the name change? Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. Breath is added, Jenny. Uh, Danny, if you did one verse a week, you could make 16. 
she could make a 16 week series of this portion. Yes, wouldn't that be fun? Maybe I should write about this one. That'd be fun. Uh, Bob, it's more flowing and grace filled. Yeah, breath is at it. Well, because we're out of time, here's the deal. H, the letter H is at it. Elizabeth, it's evolved. Yes. Noah, there's an ah. Noah, you win. Okay. Noah, you win. Ah is added. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like the name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh. So God says this, because I want to be in relationship with you, because I've just asked you to walk to my face to a place where I will show you, I'm going to take, I have two H's in my name, Yahweh says. I have two of them. I'm going to put one in your name, Abraham, and I'm going to put one in your name, Sarai, and that's how we're going to be covenanted together. I'm taking part of my name, the breath of God, and putting it in you, both of you, not just the man, both of you. And here's the thing, at the end of the day, God is still Yahweh, fully giving of God's self, yet remaining fully whole. And that's the partnership we're invited into. Amen? Come on, people. Yahweh. That's the first people that were called God's people. Therefore, it's true about all of us. And when we get to Jesus being born and dying, because he is the first of a new creation, what's true about him is true about us as well. Now that's a different sermon. And I got to stop. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would, or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.